Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we began a celebration for the Feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God. Or in Greek, as we say a lot in our services, the Theotokos. We have in the Theotokos a great example of humility, of concentration and focus upon the most important things. So I want to pause for a second with that thought and look at the daily readings and the lectionary readings that we have for us as we begin at the same time because we've just had a major feast and now this evening we start the commemoration for Saints Joachim and Anne, because with every major feast, uh, it is typical in our calendar the next day to have a synopsis, which means a coming together of the saints who were active uh, in the feast that was the day previous. So after Nativity, we have the synopsis of the Theotokos. After Theophany, we have the synopsis of John the Baptist, etc., we have, in our daily lectionary, have been going through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. And if you are at all disturbed or fretful or anxious about church life now, you should go back and read the letters to Corinth, because there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in Corinth. That would make maybe some of us even blush a little bit as to what was going on. Paul is and has been, especially in the Orthodox tradition, considered him the pastor. He is the one in which, especially as we look at St. John Chrysostom, a great saint of the 4th century, uh, who wrote many homilies, or gave many homilies, and is one of our go-to um, voices for interpreting scripture. There is a very popular icon of a story attached to St. John that has uh, Paul whispering into his ear as he's trying to interpret Paul. He's interpreting Paul, but he also has Paul beside him, uh, giving him enlightenment letting him know what he was trying to say. Because if you try to wrestle with Paul, you know that you've come up against a formidable opponent because he is, can be, hard to interpret. But we look at and see his interactions throughout his epistles, but especially in the Corinthian epistles, about all of the thorny pastoral issues that he has to face that he has as an apostle, you only have so many tools in your pastoral toolbox. He's not a Roman general, and these are not his soldiers, where he can basically say, whatever, this is what it is, you have to line up, get in gear, and here we go. Paul is the consummate, how should I say this, rhetorician. He has to say things, he lauds, he encourages, he consoles, but he also, and this is what most of us like out of pastors, right? The consolation, etc. 
But Paul also has to tell truths. And they're not truths that are just kind of common street truths. These are truths that strike at uh, the core of the ones that he is pastoring to say, guys, this is wrong. You are off. And we need to do something about this. Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, the second one that we have in Scripture, uh, this is what is set aside for tomorrow, is the seventh chapter, verses 1 through 10. And because of all of the things, and I won't go down the long list of things that he is, that we at least know about from the first letter to the Corinthians, because from what we can tell from even the first two letters to the Corinthians, there's probably some other letters because there's some references to things and the way he talks in these epistles that they're having a back and forth. There's something that he had said to them that made them sorry, that struck a nerve, starting in verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Because what person wants to tell somebody, if you're going to tell somebody the truth, you kind of have to get yourself ready for it. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to go there. And we've all had the reactions to that. Paul continues, For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. We have godly sorrow, and we have the sorrow of the world. Now Paul knows that his words and his letter struck true because there was a reaction. We all have seen this reaction, I'm sure that we all have had our own reactions when somebody confronts us or tells us something true. There's usually, if it's not seconds, it could be minutes, it could be hours, it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years before we can actually hear what is being said to us. But there is almost always Maybe you are a better person than me. When somebody says the truth to you, there's the, wait, what, if, but, that comes out of your mouth first. The sorrow, the anger, the bowing up, the I'm ready to go into defense mode. This is what Paul talks about, the sorrow, the sorry that they experienced. But it is not that they stayed there, and this is something that Paul lauds them. They did not just get reactive, they didn't just get defensive, they didn't just get angry and upset. They actually repented. He says that it produced godly sorrow. Sorrow that actually turned towards repentance and a changing of the way of life. And then there is the sorrow that he says leads to death. Sorrow 
of the world. What is the difference exactly? Both smart, right? They both hurt a little bit. One leads to death, one leads to life. The one, the worldly sorrow, is usually the sorrow that comes out of a wounded sense of pride, of ego, which comes the anger, which comes, well, Paul just succinctly says death. Because it doesn't, when that nerve is hit, there's nothing that usually good comes of it. This is where the fight occurs. This is where the stalemate. This is where the death of relationships. This is where division. This is where chaos. This is where everything rushes in. Pride, because it is, as Paul talks about in his epistles, because it's a carnal mind. It is a mind and a heart that has been formed around short-term goods, things of pleasure, of self-image, or what you think that you're projecting into the world and want to maintain that kind of image, that you are generically a sinner, but there's not really anything particular about that. It's just kind of a blanket, yes, I know I'm broken, but you don't really ever spend the time to actually see what that fruit is. And it leads to death. Godly sorrow is a mind and a heart that we would see modeled in Joachim and Anna, in the Theotokos. It is a humble heart. It is quick to accept when that truth strikes and says, you have a point, you're right, or to use other language of Paul, I am the chief of sinners, I am guilty of this thing, and I need to work on it. I need to lower myself to be able to hear the truth because my mind is not set on all short-term things, but I have my mind and my heart dedicated, oriented to the eternal, to God. This is not an easy task. This is why we have a life of repentance set before us. And why in the Orthodox Church, we, if you come to enough Vesper service, Vesper services, and we recount the martyrs, we recount the great lives of the ascetics, the monastics of the church, the great lives of the faithful men and women of God. They are not fairy tales. They're not stories full of all sorts of nice little, you know, then this happened and this happened and everything was great and grand. It is the cross. It is labor. It is struggle. Through all of this, there is not despondency, not despair, not a sorrow that turns to just nihilism or death or just giving up. But it is, as our Lord, as Scripture talks about, looking to the cross, looking to what was set before him with joy, that we are to run the race, that we are to put our minds and hearts 
in the heavens so that when truths are revealed to us, we can repent, we can bring life, we can humble ourselves to be able to hear. Paul, in the seventh chapter, says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, the promise of being having God as our Father being made sons and daughters of the Lord, we cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of this flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is the path of the cross. This is the core of what we are to do as Christians. And it is what a pastor is to point to. Paul says, open your hearts to us. May God give us all hearts that are open to hear the truth as much as it is that mirror that's put in front of our face that we want to recoil from to accept because the ultimate truth is that we've been made in the image of God, that we've been made sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty, and that he is as we deign to follow him in transforming us little bit by little bit. But it is a path that we can only trod, that we can only follow with great humility and with deep repentance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.